Welcome to the Family Biz Show, where we dive deep into the fascinating world of family-owned businesses. I'm your host, Michael Columbus, and in each episode, we'll bring you inspiring stories, practical insights, and expert advice from successful family business owners and industry thought leaders. Hidden in this grandparent-grandchild philanthropy and in the process is actually young children learning to ask for something in a very safe environment. This is step-by-step, paint-by-numbers, Get your strategy mapped out system. Join us on this journey as we uncover the unique challenges and opportunities of running a family business. The best part about it is that the guys in the field didn't treat me as the owner's son. I was just another guy. But I think what's super unique about our story, we lost the business and we got it back. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's dive right into the next episode of The Family Biz Show. Welcome, everybody, to the Family Biz Show. I'm your host, Michael Columbus, with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. Um, very excited to have Lisa Smoot on the show today from San Francisco Bay Coffee. Um, very cool story that we're going to be talking about. I've dug in a little bit. Lisa doesn't know it yet, but I went through the website, and there's some really rich information that we're going to be talking about today in regards to family businesses. We're gonna be talking about successes. We're gonna talk about some things that didn't go so well and you're gonna get a ton of value. Lisa, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Michael, for having me. I'm very excited to be here. And Lisa shared with me before that she's been listening to the show. So she's already prepped and knows where, you know, a lot of the conversations and things that we do. Um, I cannot believe you you have a two and a half hour commute. Each way. Each way, oh it's five hours. It's five hours. I, I I love you and respect you for doing that. I could barely do a 90-minute commute. You know, I'll tell you, I am a, um, I don't like the hot weather and our roasting plant is up just north of Sacramento and it could be 115 degrees when I leave here at night at four or five. And when I get on the San Mateo Bridge, it's 52 degrees. The fog has come in. My, I don't need air conditioning. It's nice and cool. So for me, the climate is way more important than the commute. And I get to listen to your podcast. So it's a win-win. I love it. So let's, you you might know this then. I I have a a history of asking people to share their story of what entry into the family business looked like for you. So my dad started the coffee business 43 years ago. We actually grew up in Connecticut, born and raised on the East Coast. Okay. Came out to California for the offer he couldn't refuse, hated that business. And after a couple of years looking around and consulting, the options were a toothbrush company, a dog food company, or this bankrupt flavored coffee and tea company in San Francisco. We're like, hey, let's buy the company. So And this blows my mind to this day at 42 years old with a senior in high school, a junior in high school, a ninth grader and an eighth grader. My dad liquidated everything he had, took all of our college money and bought this bankrupt company. And my mom said, "Okay, let's go. We can do this. And I remember standing in my kitchen at 42 thinking I would never have done that. Never. But my dad knew that he could succeed. He, you know, he grew up in New York with consumer products. And before we left, he was running a um, division of Revlon called Mitchum Thayer. So he's very experienced and well-versed in in everything company-wise. So we moved out here. We bought this company and we were cheap labor, as everyone in the family business will tell you. You know, we were stamping discontinued on the on all of the catalogs and doing all the stuff that we could do for my mom and dad and going to school and high school and college. And then After college, I was actually going to go to work for PepsiCo in Arizona. And my dad said, hey, I need to hire some people. I'd love you to come and work for me. But if you don't want to, no problem. So I thought, all right, I'll give it a shot. You know, I can always leave. So I started right out of college. And here I am all these years later. And, you know, as everyone will tell you, I answered phones. I did accounts payable. I did accounts receivable. I did, you know, swept the floors. I did e-commerce and shipping. And, you know, the only thing I did not do was roast. I had no interest, no desire to learn how to roast. So that's Mm -hmm. the one thing that I didn't do. But, you know, I've been in this business now 40 years and I've done pretty much everything that you can imagine. And now generation two, myself and my two brothers are here and we're running the company. Oh my gosh. That's a fabulous story. And and it's, again, I, I just love the disparity in stories where somebody somebody said, oh, no, you can't work here for five years. Go and get your, your stuff. And then the, the other one's like, 
trial by fire, get in here, I need your help. And then the, the other ones of, you know, I have a, a cabbage farmer client who followed his grandfather around while he was splicing uh, genetic, you know, branches and stuff to make, you know, the, whatever he was growing, he did it with oranges and he also did it with, um, with, with, with cabbage. And today, you know, he's retired, you know, my client's now retired, but it was that time with grandpa, not so much his father it was his time with grandpa that it was just meant so much to him that he's like, this is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. My dad was really, really big on family and he literally forced us and I'm not kidding. Once we all started getting dating and married and, and all that kind of stuff, he forced us to go to Hawaii every year, darn it. And you couldn't bring guests. You couldn't bring friends. You had to bring your kids. You had to come for a week. The cousins played together and the parents, you know, did strategic planning for the next year. And I really think that that was the catalyst that made, you know, there are there are 15 grandchildren. And they go range in age from 31 to 17. And sometimes it's all the boys and all the girls. And sometimes it's the oldest and the youngest sometimes. And it was really my dad just saying, this is what you have to do. No, no if, ands, or buts. And as you, as I hear on your show all the time, it's my way or the highway. You don't like it, get out. That's interesting. Yeah. But, you know, all right. So we had my way or the highway, which is not a way that, you know, that really resonates well with us as human beings, because we all have our own yes. thoughts and processes. Yeah. But at the same time, what he was doing of fostering the next generation of working together and playing together and being able to communicate. And that was beautiful. That's was awesome. That yeah. was a family meeting before family meetings. Right. And I didn't realize, and at the time I didn't realize what he was doing and you know, we're going to Hawaii and, you know, we're having treasure hunts and stuff like that, but it is, it is working together and communicating, but you know, if that was on the, on the Island, right. When we get back, it's a completely ball, different ball of wax. And as my uh, family likes to say, we're a lot of chiefs and no Indians. So we were all doing our own separate things so that no one, we, you know, we'd interact, but we wouldn't tell each other what to do. And we wouldn't cause World War III because I'm telling my brother how to do his job. So we, we did, you know, we worked together, we had fun, we played together, we lived together. Ironically, I lived with my youngest brother's wife. My two brothers lived in an apartment above me in San Francisco. I mean, it was really, really a very, you know, we were all working hard on the business. We were all having fun. And it was, you know, everything we did was to build this business to what it was. That's amazing. And it, so is, let's, amazing. it is amazing. Let's talk about your, your parents are John and Barbara. Yes. And they have, those three of you. Four of us. Four, Four of you. Sorry. Thank you. One, one, they, one girl, four, three, bro, three boys. Okay. And they buy this bankrupt business. Yeah. What, I mean, you, you remember these things because you were there. So this is really, really rich. This yeah. is really rich. Talk about how he moved, that you all moved from bankrupt business to, I don't know, what, what, when, when dad retired, mom and dad retired. What was, what was the business doing revenue-wise, if that's okay to ask? Over 200 million. Yeah, so you, you went from a bankrupt business to over 200 million in how many years? Ooh. Uh, let's see, I think he retired in 2017. So that would be, I don't know. It was, you know, 35, 35 yeah. years. Yeah. Years, something like that, 32 years, something. Yeah. And if do you remember getting where you, the first million of revenue? Oh, I remember, I remember when we had no money and we had to get hard money loans because no one would lend us money. They're like, are you crazy? And, you know, we would, we'd go, okay, well, we have to make payroll on Friday. Who are we not paying? Well, we need our coffee beans. So we got to pay for our coffee beans. Who can we not pay this week so that we can make payroll? And it was, you know, we, we had a bankrupt company that was buying coffee and tea from other sources, flavoring that, packaging it, and then selling it to the, you know, the Mon Pa gourmet stores of the world, the little coffee, not even the coffee shops, it was the gourmet stores. And my dad said, geez, Louise, we are never going to make, we're never going to make it. We don't have any scale. We have no control over our costs. So we started looking for a coffee company to buy. We bought this coffee company. We started roasting our own coffee. And, you know, then we'd take, still take orders from Michael's coffee shop. I need five pounds of this and six pounds of that. And then we'd roast it and we'd deliver it. And, you know, sometimes I was delivering the coffee. 
And my dad was still saying, man, oh man, we are just never, we're never going to make, you know, it's going to take us years to get to scale. And he'd always, you know, consumer products and, you know, drug stores and whatnot. So he said, we need some big customers. And right around the time where we were trying to figure out how we could scale up, what we could do to scale up, Costco came into town and we went to Costco and we walked into Costco and it was all the canned Folgers and, you know, commercial coffees of the world. And there was no gourmet coffee and you know my dad and my brother started looking around and asking questions everyone said don't go to Costco don't go to Costco we hear they don't pay bills and we're like well we got nothing to lose if they don't pay bills you know we got it we got nothing anyways right we didn't heed their advice and we went to Costco and said you don't have a gourmet coffee and they're like you're right we don't and so we started working them to develop a a, a product to sell in their stores and then they said okay great you know we'll take 10 truckloads let's say i don't remember what the first order was but we were like holy smokes we've got no way to make that much coffee this quickly so we my dad ran over to italy with one of my brothers and we got a bigger roaster and we got a fast pa a packaging machine and we put everything in place and my brother john learned how to run the machine and take it apart and put it back together and there we go and we were off to the races and that's how we first started getting our first big customer and how we, I mean, and we've been, you know, they've been one of our businesses, or, you know, they've been one of our customers for 37 years. Wow. So it's, you know, we do well when we have a relationship with the customer and it's not just, you know, what's the cheapest price we, you know, and we really try to be that partner, a good partner with all of the people that we do business with. So that was our first big win. And we were like, wow, okay, we can retire now. So it was awesome. That's great. Yeah. Today, when you look at, you know, so at that point, Costco comes in, they're probably overnight go to 90% of your business at some level yeah. or 70 or whatever. Yeah. But hundred percent of our business, you know, right. Michael's coffee shop went out of business. We're like, who cares? We got these guys <laughs> over here. <laughs> but so the, the risk to that you know, is having one source and whatnot. Yeah. How long did it take from having just the one source that got you over the, you know, that million dollar, you know, revenue spot to where you'd started to diversify your, your risk? Well, I think that sort of gave us validation because up to that point, no one knew who, who the heck is San Francisco Bay Coffee Company. And then all of a sudden we were in Costco stores. So then all the little local grocery stores, the, you know, the Petrini's and the Molly Stones and whatnot in the Cal in the on the Bay Area and the West Coast, they all started going, oh, well, you know, ha, huh, that's interesting. And, and so we started getting it opened more doors for us. So it validated us. And it took us a while, but you know, it was just, you know, a plug. And we are very, we are very grateful to the opportunity we have with Costco. And we, you know, that is a very special relationship that we don't ever take for granted. And we always try to make sure we are doing the right thing by everyone that we do business with, but that really sort of opened doors for us. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and, and go back for just a second, because it, it, I think it's, it's relevant for people to understand that 37 years ago, Costco was not the Costco that you think about today. No. They no, had come up. Small. They were super small. They were, um, you know, it was sort of like the Costco business centers of today. There wasn't a lot of product. There was no fresh food. There was no deli department. There was the, I don't even think the food courts were open in, in the be beginning. And I, I mean, we made it a point when we started doing business with them of going to every Costco opening there was and passing out, making coffee and passing out the coffee. And the night before the Costco stores open, they have a VIP party and we would go, and we were always next to the desserts. Our coffee was right there. We passed cans of coffee, but in the old, old days of opening a Costco, they at the VIP party, they'd always serve beer and wine. So no one wanted to drink coffee. They were all drinking the beer and wine. And then they put an end to that. And then people would come and get their cake and their coffee. And then, you know, that's when we got, you know, it's as my dad used to say, we were drug dealers. We give it away till for free until you're hooked. And then we start charging you. Healthy drug dealers. Yes, healthy. Yes, drug healthy. Legal. Yeah. How about that? Legal. Legal. There you go. Yes. Love it. Yeah. Um, I just think that's fantastic. And, and you have grown along with Costco and along the ways, I'm sure there are other people. What do you, do you call it white labeling or private labeling or what? 
No, it's uh, in Costco. We're not in all Costco's, but it's our branded label. It's a San Francisco Bay coffee, and it's a two pound bag of French roast or organic. And then we have these um, home compostable, like one cup pods sure. that, that you know, Keurig compatible that are that are compostable rather than thrown into landfill. So we oh, sell, I love that. Yeah, we I sell all, all three of those wherever in in various okay. places. Got it, got it, got it, got it. So it's not white label. It's your brand that's yeah. out there. And if I was a Costco shopper, I'd probably know that. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think the, I don't think we're in the Costco's in the East. Okay, okay. Um, so you wouldn't know that unless we do like a, a nationwide promotion, but we haven't done one of those in a while. So you guys, I, we do a lot of work with um, CEO plus leadership team development. Right. And we talk about the, you know, forming, storming, norming, performing, and you have gone through all of those phases oh and God. then back to storming, back to forming several times in the last 40 years. Yeah. Um, the other piece that we that we line up for people when we're talking to them, and I've never talked about this on the show, so this is kind of, this is really interesting just because of your situation. Right. There's um, a, a book that I love called Navigating the Growth Curve. Okay. And, and what he talks about is it's based on the size and the number of employees. So, you know, to go from one employee you know, or two employees to, to 10, to go from 10 to 25, to go to 25 to 50, to, the, to where you get to a thousand. How many employees are, are in the company today? So in our roasting plant in Lincoln, we have 245, but we don't have enough. Then we have a roasting plant in Mexico. We've got 60 there. We've got a roasting plant in Wales and we've got 12 there. And then we have coffee farms in Mexico, Panama, um, Rwanda and Kona that are, have full-time employees. And then of course, during the crop, we hire temp, you know, we'll have 1500 employees working in, in Mexico, picking on all the farms that we have down there. Wow. So there's a lot there is, it's, and the biggest headaches that we have, as I heard on one of your podcasts the other night, is one, the communication and the people. It is always, you know, I don't hear what you're saying or I misinterpret what you're saying or the communication's not clear. And every single, I say to everyone every day, 99.9% .9 of the problems we have that we have to deal with is because of communication. Yeah. We need to do a better job. We need to make sure, you know, what do they call it? Parroting. Michael, did, what I'm hearing you say is blah, blah, blah. We don't do enough of that, but but we also what I realized in 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 my five hour commute is that we promote people here and we don't give them the skills to be managers. Mm. So we you know we say congratulations, Lisa, you're now a you know you're now a supervisor. Well, what does that mean? You know we don't really give them the skills. So this year we're really focusing on developing our our employees, whether that means a supervisor, what you have to do at supervisor level, level, and then lead level, and then manager level, and then how do you talk to people, and how do you write things up, and where does the HR step in, you know, when is it over your head, and you need to jump HR in, and, and what are, what are your, what do you want to do with your life, Michael, do you want to be in quality control your whole life, okay, great, but you know, there's all these other things you can do too, so we're, we're putting together, we just hired a trainer, which I'm really excited about who's going to develop these programs for us. And we're going to just start, you know, we're starting simple with yep. training the people who need to be trained. And then it's going to go all the way out, all the way out to even the people who are on the lines packing, you know, and those training skills might be a little different. We have a lot of people whose English is not their first language. And they have some challenges as far as, you know, how do I get around in, in the world? You know, how do I fill out a mortgage form or what do I need? What tools do I need to make sure I qualify that? So we're going to start really, really basic, simple stuff and work our way up and give them as much training as they possibly could want and more. Lisa, you must have listened to one of my episodes. Have you read The Dream Manager? I have not, but I, I had I've been thinking about this because I have a guy who every single time he gets his paycheck, he says we're cheating him and we're ripping him off. And I, and as I was on my five hour commute in the morning, I thought, I'll bet you he doesn't know how to calculate what his paycheck is. So that's what got me started. Then I talked to my director of HR and said, this is what I wanna do. And she's like, well, we need to hire someone. And then I listened to your show and I'm like, okay, I'm on the, you validated, you validated I what I thought I needed. You're creating San Francisco Bay Coffee University. 
Yep. And I, and I can't I can't say it enough. The companies that go through and create an internal university that I, that I will throw it out there that knows where they're great and knows when to go external. Right. You know, it's okay. There's you just can't be great at everything. Well, you're right. And so I just I hats off to you for that. That's amazing. I have to say the the aha moment for me. You know, we I don't know last year my senior leadership who you know I've been putting them in place. What's our mission statement, Lisa? What's our and I'm like, oh God, who the heck cares? We, you know, just do your job. It's fine. It's fine. And we've had 16 variations of mission statement. And so finally, all of my senior leadership was talking about our mission statement, our mission statement. So I said, okay, we have our senior leadership team, all the people we need to take this to the next level. Let's so we did a workshop and we spent six months sort of looking at who we are and what's important to us and creating a new mission vision mission, vision, core values, which we love. We rolled out in April. And then right after that, I had, I don't know if you know, Bob Anderson. Have you heard of Bob Anderson from Stowe? No. He has a group called Leading Challenges. And I met him through my Vistage group. And he does a workshop on EQIQ, yep. which we needed. And I said, supervisor, no, lead level and up. He came for two days. And, you know, people were in there going, oh, my God, I can't believe this workshop. I said, put your phones away and listen. That's all you need to do is listen to. And Bob is a very dynamic, very, you know, he's he's been a teacher. He's been in the army. He's been a lieutenant. I mean, he's done all sorts of amazing things in this world. And I would just peek my head in at the end of every session to see how people were receiving the EQIQ. People were crying. And going up and shaking his hand, and I was like, oh, my gosh, we really, we really need this. And that sort of escalated even more because he was here in March. We need to, you know, that's when we start hire the trainer. What's the program? And how are we going to do this? And, you know, let's simplify it to the very, very basic level. And if no one signed up for how to balance a checkbook, then we don't need that class, right? Right, right. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that the next time you ask, if they, you know, somebody might ch yeah. check that box. Yeah. And, and at some point, what I want to do is have these classes on an in intranet, San Francisco Bay intranet. So you can just go through the library and click on what you want and learn how to do it. But it. I'm not there yet. That's okay. Long-term goals are good. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. So let's change. I, 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 you said this before we started recording and I, I'm like, oh man, we could have 17 episodes just running through. There's so many things we've done wrong and so many things I want to do, which and I'm only on if I start the beginning 15 of your episodes. So I don't even know if I've got the right idea, but we'll figure it out by 87, right? That's right. That's right. You'll, you'll get there. You'll be fine. Yeah. Um, and you're going to, and you're going to, you're going to laugh as you hear some of the episodes later on where we start bringing in what I didn't do in the beginning is I didn't do a lot of what I would call coaching. Yeah. And then, as I started listening to the stories, I'll ask the question, what are you struggling with? And it's fun to coach and you give, give people a little thing, things back. So you'll, you'll get some things as you're going through. Let's talk about the family piece, dynamic piece of this. Right. Mom and dad, you've got 30 plus years all working together. Yep. What through that period of time, what for you is great about being part of a family business what for you was tough about those years? And I'm just, I want to focus when mom and dad were here first. So um, I think the thing that was tough was that we were spread very thin. It was literally the six of us running this business. You know, dad, how do I do this? Just figure it out. You'll be fine, right? There wasn't a lot of coaching and a lot of this is, how do you do a marketing plan? There wasn't a lot of that. And in those days, you know, we had to go buy the book. How do you do, write a marketing plan or how do you do this? And, you know, we'd say, dad, you know, how am I doing in my job? And my dad was not a, you know, he'd tell us he loved us. He'd tell us we are important, but in our job, do your job and just, you know, just do your job. You're doing fine. So there wasn't a lot of feedback. So that was sort of hard because you don't really know where you stand, but, you know, you were still getting a paycheck. So, okay. But there was also, um, I am a person of structure and processes and I like to fix things. And it just, you know, we were just doing our job. We were just focusing on getting more sales, more sales, more sales, more sales. And um, my mom, my dad passed away in May of 2022. 
and my mom just in this last January. They, but you know, 89 years old. And as they both said, they were married 67 years. As my dad said, you know, I've lived a wonderful life. And when God tells me it's time to go, I'm ready because I have done everything that I want to do. But so my dad passed away. Um, I started running the company in December, 2019, and I had come from sales. So I didn't really know. I mean, I'd seen the financials and stuff like sure. that, but I have, I am a finance for non-finance majors person. So I know what everything means, but I don't, you know, I don't get the deep dive and I need my CFO to explain it. But I started looking at the processes and, you know, uh, what are we doing right and what are we doing wrong? And it felt like um, I, I'm not a touchy-feely person, but, you know, there's communication that's important to what's going on and no one was communicating. And this person didn't know what this person was doing, but they needed each other to know what they were doing to do the job. So I sort of, not that there, well, there were silos when I came in, but my dad didn't create the silos. He just said, do your job, right? And that's, you know, he expected that you do your job, whatever that means, I don't know. So that was a huge challenge. The thing that was great with my mom and dad is we all did this together. You know, we'd go to lunch every day together. We'd have weekends, we'd have dinners. And that was just, you know, and I always thought my husband told me it was very odd that my family, all we talked about was business. And I thought, you know, that's normal. And I didn't realize it's normal until I listened to one of your podcasts where everyone said, all we talk about is business. And I was like, phew, okay, we're normal. So it was hard not getting the constructive criticism and or this is what I want you to do. You know, it was just sort of a figure it out. And, and some of that is good because, you know, it gives you sort of the creative to whatever. And I think I take that to the next level when we have someone coming in. I don't tell them how to do a job. I say, I need you to do this because their perspective might be completely different from mine. And they might think of something that we would never have thought of a way to do it or a process or a this or a that that's going to be way, you know, way better than what we're doing. Yeah, that's it's also very right now. Um, we've done things as, as for 40 years. This is the way we do things. And it's only this way. And so I've challenged my team. Hey, just because we do it that way isn't the right way. Is there a better way to do this? Is there a more efficient way? So we've in the last four years sort of like lifted up every single rock and looked underneath it and said, hey, maybe there's an opportunity to do something different and do something better. And we've had, you know, we haven't had a lot of egg on our face. We've had a lot of creative stuff that's happened by giving people the power to do things and the permission to try things. And I, and I say to people every day and I'll say, Hey, how about if we do it this way? Well, that's going to cost you a lot of money. And I, I say, what's a lot of money? You know, is it $10 million? Cause yes, that's a lot of money. Is it a hundred dollars? Maybe not. You know, what, what right. is a lot of money? Perspective is different for everybody. It's different for everybody and it might be worth the investment. And then I also say, Good enough isn't because I got that a lot in the beginning. Well, it's good enough. No, it's not good enough. It has to be perfect. And well, this is the way we've always done that. So no one ever says that anymore, you know, because what worked 40 years ago is not going to work now. And if we don't look at things every day and figure out a way to be better, stronger, faster, whatever, we're going to be, you know, we're going to be stuck in, in the mud, spinning our wheels where everyone's going, you know, up to the moon. Got it. So I, I'll, I'll, I'm not. I don't want to challenge you. That's not what the show is about. But I, I am a, I'm a giant fan. As good as good enough. Oh really? Yeah. So it's kind of interesting, and and and, and so just a different perspective. Yes. So when I talk about good as good enough, it's if I make an eighty percent improvement from where we are, even though I didn't make it a hundred percent, and I implement it, I'm going to be better off. Right. But I never stop. So it's you know if I keep going one percent more, one percent more, right. but I'm adding to it like we have a new website that was supposed to be launched in july now it should have been launched in june it's not there yet it focuses 100 on all these ceo interviews that i've done and we interviewed outside of this another 70 you know ceos right they all say you know the problems that they're facing are always the same things they want to grow revenue and profit they want to grow the value of their business and it's always the people that are, that are the, the things that they get stuck on. That's yep. what I hear again and again. Yep. And you, you just confirm that with communication yep. and people. And, Absolutely. And, 
So we're about to like redefine our website, you know, instead of answering the 25 questions that we have the capability of, and I'm just doing that in quotes, yep. you know, we're focusing on the one thing that's most important to the CEO on our front page and just answer the one thing that's important. And I know it's going to revolutionize how we communicate with the people that we serve, but it's not ready and it's taking forever. And I'm like, good is good enough. And I know I say that, but there gets, there's a point of, you have to know what good is good enough is right. is not bad. Right. So I think you're saying the same things. So my challenge to you is it's probably two different things. You've got yeah. a service and I've got a product that people are drinking every morning, right? Mm. And there are a million coffee companies out there. And if good enough, I take a sip of this and I go, oh, what is this? This stuff is yes. horrible. Yes. They will never come back. Never. Never. And another example, I had um, bags that were standing that kind of looked like this, you know, when they're sitting on the shelf, they should be straight. And they're kind of like that. And I go, what's going on with those bags? Oh, well, that's good enough. I said, no, it's not. Because when it's on the shelf and someone walks by and they see this and everything else is perfectly straight, they're going to say there's something wrong with that. Mm. Right? Yes. So it's a little bit different, you know, in some instances, good enough is good enough. And you're right. You could nitpick the little details on the website all day long and say, oh, my God, that color is the wrong color red. I need a deeper red. But, you know, with with consumer perceptions, that could make or break that could make or break you, you know, and it in my mind, it has to be perfect every time. And if the operator you know, sees this, the the seal is going like this instead of straight across or it's not taped properly or the label's crooked or whatever, that's not good enough, you know? Yeah. No, that, that's... I have, to do, I have to give visuals and say, here's perfect. This is what I expect from you. And so they have something to compare it to because everyone's perception of perfect is completely different. I think that's really powerful messaging that I'm going to adopt. There are times <laughs> when perfect is the only thing acceptable. Yeah. And it goes back to quality control wow. and product design and yep. you know what you're putting on the shelf. And that is who represents us. That's no different. Like when I'm serving a client, I have to be bringing my best for them. Right. I can't just be good is good enough. I'm yeah. talking about those, it's those design, it's those other pieces yeah. like yeah. core values. We got five yeah. out of four of them perfect. We're missing that fourth one, just or the fifth one. Just go with it, anyways, yeah. and you'll 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 reiterate that your mission, those kinds of things. And sometimes the good enough. I mean, you've got to put good enough out uh, on a website, for example. You have to put good enough out there, and then you have to have people. You know, because yes. you can get so much feedback from people and yes. say to your family, "Hey, or everyone you know, click on this and tell me what you think." Right? And believe me, people are happy to tell you what they think. Yes, they don't are. Invite it, don't invite it unless you want to hear it, right? Good, yes. bad, and ugly. So talk about the transition between mom and dad to the group of, you know, the group that was running the company, that runs the company. So my mom and dad retired in like 2017. My youngest brother took over running the company or at 2017, May of 2017, something like that, and decided to leave in December 2019. Oh, okay. So two years later, and it was um, sort of sudden, you know, we were talking about the direction we were going and saying, hey, we, we need to get back to basics. And we all disagreed. Five of us disagreed with one of us. And he just finally said, you know what, I'm going to leave. So very suddenly, on sun on a Sunday, I discovered that we need to figure out who is running the company on Monday. So I called my two brothers, my two brothers still remaining. I said, Hey, you need to get into work tomorrow. We need to figure this out. And um, we sat down and they said, we think you should run the company. And, you know, I have four children. They're all in college and all out of the house now. So I said, I can do this. No problem. I, I've had no experience running a company at all, but I'm a mother. I've sat on boards. I've, you know, been the team mom for soccer. You've had to, I've had to corral lots of, lots of cats all over the world. And so I said, okay, I can do this. And I just started talking to everyone in the company. What do you do? What are your frustrations? What's going on? And there was a lot of, I saw that there were a lot of silos, like our quality control did not talk to our green purchasing team. 
Well, why not? Well, we've never been allowed here. And I go, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You guys better figure out how you can communicate and make sure we, so we stripped down the silos. I think in the first year of me running the company, I changed 57 things that we were doing in the company. And you have your mute on, you hit your mute by accident, I think. No, okay, so um, we- my, my, Christine, will, Christine will get this, my, I could hear my dog barking. Yeah. And it's so just was like, oh, I'll just save that. You know what? So, you know we'll what? The good thing about COVID is people taking a sip of coffee or dogs barking or kids coming in and going like You're that. Right. It's all acceptable now because that's life, right? Oh, well. That's right. So we, uh, I remember sitting with my CFO, we called it the war room and we just put white post-it notes down and wrote, you know, imminent dangers. What do we need to worry about now, next week, next month, three months, six months, blah, blah, blah. And we just started assembling a leadership team and figuring out what we had to do and just started, I started changing everything we were doing. Everything we did, more collaboration. You know, the first thing we did is, um, I changed the way that we pay our employees. Uh, we used to pay our employees with a very small salary and then a very large bonus check. But there was really no rhyme or reason why you and I doing the same job, you got $5,000 and I got $150,000. So I hired a consultant and he helped us with pay scales. And, and, and you know, for example, we, we also had people who've been with us. We have some people who've been with us 30, 40 years. And every year their their pace, their pay would go up and up and up. And you know, we developed pay scales for different jobs in our company. So let's say quality control, the most you could make now is $35 an hour. And if you wanted to make more money, then you've got to do a different job. Here's all the different jobs you can do that will make you more money, but you've got to stretch and grow. So we had some pushback in the beginning, but now, you know, people are, you know, I had a guy say to me, Lisa, I've been here for 25 years. And this guy that just came and started working in quality controls, making the same amount as me. I said, you can make more, Hugo, you need to, here's all the different jobs that we need that make more money and can help you grow. What do you want to do? Let's help you get there. So we created upward mobility. We created, so there's no getting people out of their comfort zone, you know, 25 years in the same job. That's great, but that also that can also be a, de a detriment because you know you're comfortable in what you're doing and you might not give it 100% attention every single day. But so we did a lot, a lot of stuff. Um, we've never in our lives ever had a marketing department, ironically, until this year. I hired someone maybe in March. Okay. She came from. Um, she's got an MBA in, in marketing. She's a super smart person. Went to University of Michigan. Really great lady. She is now our market, we, you know, we did focus groups. So now we understand, you know, you know, all the things that we thought were important on the bag of coffee. No one gives it, no one cares. No one cares. So we're like, wow, we're wasting a lot of real estate on stuff that we think is important that's not. And she, we have a brand manager and we have a digital manager and we're really sort of understanding who our consumers are so that we can get out there and start and start selling people like you who care about San Francisco Bay what you want which is eye-opening. It was eye-opening. That's fabulous. It's you know what? Really great. A, a lot of what you just said doesn't always happen, but when it does, 98% of the time it's magical. What, what I, what my takeaway is run the company the way you want to run the company. When you're the next generation, when yes. you're the, in there, yes. do not try to be the person before you. You right. honor them by right. being you by being you right and right that's and, off to you for making I a lot of say, the one thing that i will uh, the one thing that i do the same as my dad my dad used to walk around the warehouse at one o'clock every day he talked to okay. everyone and and my dad said you treat everyone like family and i remember during covid i mean it, it, when we moved from the bay area to here my dad rented buses and brought the people that he thought we were gonna that were gonna come with us to look at schools and look at homes and look at apartments and to look at all of these things so that they would be comfortable in what they were moving to. So they're going from East Oakland, which is, you know, you got to duck and cover just going out to your car to go to school every day because of the, you know, the, the drugs and the shootings and all the horrible, you know, smash and grabs and whatnot to these areas where they could afford to, to rent and buy homes. And so during COVID, I went to get my mom and dad a, a shot and for some reason, they said, oh, you have to come back in an hour. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't come back in an hour. 
So I said, oh, let's go to work. So I took my mom and dad on a field trip. And my dad at this time was a little bit unsteady. So I had him in a wheelchair and we walked into the warehouse. And I swear to God, it was like Lady Gaga or Taylor Swift had gotten there. All these people are just swarming my mom and dad. And oh, hello, Mrs. Mrs. Rogers. Hello, Mr. Rogers. It's so nice to see you. And my mom and dad, you know, they're looking at me. I'm like, that's Martine. You know, they're like, oh my God, that's, you know, Juan. And they're like, oh, it's nice to see you. But it was really like they're celebrities because a lot of people, we had a guy that just retired 27 years and he came in to say thank you. But if it wasn't for my dad, he wouldn't have a house. His family wouldn't have stability and he would not have been able to buy a house for his parents in Mexico. The, the impact, you know, he, you're, you're just making you I'm, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps listening to you yeah uh, his impact was amazing it's fabulous and at the end of the day you know yes when when we started the business when you started when dad and mom started the business and you were all working together it was survival it was yeah. i don't know what i'm doing yeah. but he didn't keep that mentality nope. it was survival for everybody yep. And he shared that. It just, what was, what's the awesome. metric I just heard from one of your things? 4.2 people are affected by the decisions. Yes. I, I, I did the math when I got home and I could pick up my phone and just in Lincoln alone, that's over a thousand people. So he, and, and my, and my dad did, and my dad did truly care for everyone every day he walked. So every day now, at least once a day, I try and do it twice a day, morning and afternoon. And I stop and I talk to one, how are you doing? You know, do you, you know, what do you like about your job? What don't you like about your job? What tools do you need to be able to do your job better? And, you know, I just ask those questions and it's amazing the stuff that you get. I'll, I'll tell you a really silly sort of aha moment that how simple these needs are that, you know, don't even occur to us. I had a woman who's in my shipping department say, you know, well, you know, what we need in, in the ladies room is a machine for, you know, sanitary products. And I'm like, what? She goes, well, you know, now we have to take a break. We got to go to our, get our purse in the break room. And then we have to walk in to the bathroom and then we have to go back. And it's very embarrassing. And sometimes you have to have that stuff in your hand. And I thought, oh my gosh, I can't even believe as simple a solution as that. And then they said, well, you know, we can't do that because how are we going to charge them? You know, they can't have money in their pockets because they're on a line. So I said, make it for free and put a warning sign up there saying, hey, if you take advantage of this, you're going to have to start paying or it goes away. You know, please be respectful and make sure that you take just what you need. And so far, knock on wood, so far, so good. But, you know, those kind of just those conversations, it's just so eye opening to the simple things that people ask for. It's not, I need a raise. I don't, I want this. It's, you know, we had, we used to have an ice machine in our office. That was this ginormous ice machine that you could have for a convention center. And I always thought, why the heck do we have such a big ice machine? And one woman said, we don't have ice. And the guys have to go from the warehouse into the office, get ice and go back and keep it in coolers. Can we have that ice machine? I'm like, sure, take it. So now they've got an ice machine and we've got a small one that was what we need here. So it's all simple, simple, easy stuff that you don't find out about unless you talk to people and listen to what they're saying. And care. That yeah. really does matter. It really does matter. And a lot of times I, I think, you know, I want to see if I can say this properly. When your dad said, just do your job. Yep. That comes across potentially as not caring. Because they're not listening and just go out and figure it out. I, but right. I think in your dad's circumstances, what he was saying is, I trust you to figure this out. I believe in you, even though yeah. it was unspoken. And yeah. I care about you. And he showed his care just differently. Properly. Other things that he did. That's yeah. just real testament to your, to your mom and dad. Uh, they were they were amazing. They were amazing people. And, you know, just they're just the. I know I can do this. I know I can do this. And it's so interesting because they, you know, born in the thirties, they're classic, classic, um, you know, that, that era. And when my mom passed away, I was going through all of their stuff. I had to go through all their stuff because my mom had stashed money and I couldn't just take paper and throw it away. My dad went to um, a boarding school called the Whalen Academy. And I think it's in Beaverton, Wisconsin. And I see this little, little gold thing. And I'm like, what the heck is this? And so it's inscribed, hand inscribed on the back. And as a senior in high school, 
my dad got the highest award that you could get graduating from that from that university. Never knew it. Never had any idea. And I was like, wow. So they were just head down, do your job, right? Head down, right. do your job. So I want to pick up on that point too. And I think it's one of the um one of the diseases, I'll say, of American CEOs is this rugged individualism, this this feeling that I have to do it all on my own to be able to make this thing happen. And sometimes what ha what happens is you can't see the forest through the trees. Yes, you you know you you get stuck in yes. always doing it a certain way. Right. And and by opening up those doors, it really helps, especially when the CEO starts to see things differently. Yep. Other be other people's perspectives. Yep. And, and also, I would say, giving your team the permission to challenge you or to say, "Hey, Lisa, do we really want to do it this way?" Because yeah. I think you know, and and I'll give you a perfect example. We we need to buy a bigger roaster. Two years ago, I said buy a bigger roaster. It's going to take us two years to get it. So by the time we get it, we'll need it. Oh, well, the return on the investment isn't really good, blah, blah, blah. We don't want to do that. I'm like, just buy it. No, I don't think we want to spend that money. I mean, and a, and a roaster starts at a million dollars. So it's a big investment. So I said, okay, all right. You know, you win. I, you know, I trust you. You know the production better than I do. I trust you. Now we wish we had that roaster, but it's a, you know, giving them permission it's not going to be that big a deal that we don't have it right now but giving you know okay so if we don't get the roaster then what's plan b and how are you know i almost am a plan b person if we don't do it this way what's plan b and i want to hear what your plan b is and i want assurances that nothing's going to fall through the cracks so i you know they challenge me every day and it's and it's comfortable i mean we don't ever have contentious discussions the only contentious discussions are between jim john and lisa because we're siblings and you know how that goes. But we've all, and, and we've also never had the discussion, how do we speak to each other? It just sort of pops right back in. But people have permission to challenge and disagree. And I don't agree with you. I think we should do it this way. And, you know, as I've said before, I, I'm willing to not do it my way because I don't want to be that person that's hammering them saying, no, this is the way we're going to do it because I'm not always right. And I'm always, you're right, looking at it this way, where they have fresh perspective, and they might, they might give me a better perspective than what I'm thinking. Yeah, we. That brings up another point. You were, you and I were introduced through uh, uh, a message board through yes. Vistage. Yes. Okay? How long ago did you join Vistage? Oh boy, I joined. I think I'm coming up on two years. And when I first joined, I was the only female in my group. That's. Unfortunately, that's not dissimilar. And you know what? I'm totally comfortable with that because I had three brothers growing up. I've always been the only woman in the room. And yeah. sometimes I use that to my advantage. I don't care. It really, and you know, our motto in, in the Rogers family is when you're down, kick them harder. So nothing affects me. But when I first joined, it was during COVID. It was virtual meetings. And I'm like, oh, geez, I, you know, I'm going to give this one year. This is not what I think I signed up for. And then we started having um, in-person in, in meetings. And it's so weird. It's almost like there was like a microphone on my phone because I'd be thinking about something, a problem that I had to figure out or deal with. And we'd have a speaker that spoke about it. And I'd be like, oh my gosh. So, you know, as I've gotten more comfortable, I, it, it really is for me, it's really, really valuable. Um, we have probably 80% of the time we have a guest speaker and the other 20% uh, it's just an executive session where we pro issue process and whatnot. And it's really, it's really helpful to get other perspectives or to listen to other problems, which might not be the same as mine, but all of the feedback from everyone gives me, oh, maybe I should look at it this way. Oh, well, that's a good point. So it's really, it's really, really what I thought I didn't think it was going to be as great as it is. And I really, I really, really look forward to my meetings. Good. And, and that's, you know, goes back to being a learner. You're listening to our podcast. It's getting the same, the same kind of feeling where it's like, here's somebody else's perspective, or I learned something new. And so what can I do to take this? Yeah. My father, I'm second generation as a wealth advisor. Right. Okay? And most wealth advisors are not also business coaches. That's one of those weird things that I just 
you know, if I can add more things to my, my job, let's do it. Um, but what he taught me was, I don't care every conference you go to, every meeting that you're in, where there's a speaker, every book that you read, I want you to look for one thing. Interesting. One, if you just find one thing and then implement it into your business and implement it into your life over and over again, you're going to be way further ahead than other people. And that makes that time worth your while, because even though it might be one small thing, if you use that for the next 15 years, 30 years, it makes a big impact. I'm like, that was really good advice. That was probably of all, and not all, many pieces of great advice from dad. Yeah. Yeah. the ones that I really took was a big one I took away. Yeah, no, I, you know, I, I have a list of books that I've gotten off of your podcast. I have a list of, we have a book club in our, in our Vistage group and every month there's a book that's pushed out. And then when I read them, they're over on the side of my, anyone who wants to listen or borrow them or whatever, have at it. Great. Yeah, that's, I just heard that from one of my Vistage members that was, he had come to one of our boot camps, brought his leadership team in and heard me talking about how leaders are learners. So he created what he called the, you know, the, the library and they, somebody created a box and a shelf and they, he just filled it with books. Yeah. Some, you know, if there was, if they hit, you know, if there was a book that's super popular, he would put five or six of them in there and just say, Yeah. And that way everybody on the leadership team or in the business could, could, you know, learn from it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my, all right, Lisa, we could just keep going and going and going here. Talk to me about right now, if you look at your priorities over the next 12 months, what would you say your top three priorities are? Um, Expansion. Hmm? I don't know if that means um, a new plant more more roasting capacity here. Um, I am a as a, I'm sort of an OCD type of person, and I need pro, I'm a process person. And the one thing that bothers me since I've learned about all this is that my dad did a great job of running the company up till he retired. And there's no since 2017. There's nothing out here to what what's next. Yeah. Um, you know, I I, I admire. Queen Elizabeth so much that when she passed away, London Bridge has fallen and everyone knew what they had to do. Everyone knew. And, you know, we need a succession plan. We, you know, not only for the family, but also for the employees. You know, I said, we need to know. My brothers both said, oh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to retire at my desk. And I thought people in our office don't want to hear that. You know, we need to start thinking about those things. So uh, you know, as much as I talk about it, my brother's one brother is now on board and says, I see what you're talking about. The other one's like, no, I don't. Why are we planning? We don't need to plan. But we need a succession plan, both internally in the company and then externally, you know, for the family. What's going to happen? Because our G3 is nowhere near. You know, I have four children. It's probably going to be 15 years before they come in. I'm not even sure if any of the other uh, cousins want to come in. So you know, who will run it next? And what is the plan to get them up to speed if they want to stay in the in the business and go from there? So that's that's the one. And, you know, from one of your podcasts, I hate to be, you know, well, it doesn't bother me at all. There are 30 people in this family that are, you know, that my decisions affect. And I never thought I always thought about it as I'm running the company. I'm, I, you know, I, this is what I'm doing. And these are the goals I've set for myself. And these are our sales goals and the, our EBITDA goals and this and that. And, and I never really considered that, you know, what we decide to do affects the 30 people who, and most of them aren't in the business. There's only three of us in the business. Right. So I need to make sure that I am being a good steward of what everyone wants. And I don't know what everyone wants. So we need to have those conversations. I love that. It's my my favorite. Um, I learned it from one of my mentors, which you'll you'll hear him on the podcast several times. Jay Hughes. Oh yeah. Uh, Jay, Jay, none of this would have happened at, at any at any level. I would not have had the podcast. I wouldn't have had the guests if it wasn't for Jay. Yeah. Um, but Jay talked about. He goes, Michael, you're in Iroquois. You you're in the Iroquois. You know, uh, country. You know, you yeah. should know what seventh generation thinking is. I'm like, all right, I don't know that. I never learned it. What is it, Jay? And and he's like, well, we need to be good stewards of the seven generations that came before us. Yep. 
And we need to think about as we're making decisions, the impact that we'll have seven generations from today. Interesting. That's just like, so when I think about that, it was really interesting. We set our BHAG for 10 years out, our big, hairy, audacious goal. Yep. As, we, as we're going through this renaissance, this change of who we are, and we will still do wealth management. We still do a great job with investments and estate planning taxes. That's great. But our clients wanted to know, how do I build my business? How do I transition it? How do I you know, do the succession? Yep. So that's what we became experts in you know, next. Yeah. Um, but I had a 10-year BHAG. Hmm. I'm 55 years old. Right. And the world says at 65, I retire. So I had one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake. And it was stopping me from making really healthy, good decisions for what's the future of our business. Right. So we set our goal out to 30 years. Oh, my God. Not be out here. So it's but, but what that's doing for me is creating a vision. Right. When we're making three year goals and one year and 90 day goals that they connect to what we're trying to be when we grow up 35 years from now, when right. I'm not long running right. the show anymore. Right. Interesting. So just out of curiosity, in 30 years, do you see any, I I, I know you have kids, but you, do you see them in the business or? or, or... Yeah. So it's hard to say. Yeah. The, the, right now, the likelihood is I've got about a 0 0.01 chance of somebody saying I'm in. Yeah. But there are, there are one, two, I think there's four that, you know, one of them is training to be, to take over my job right, right. now. Okay. Uh, but when she looks at what a wealth, the wealth advising side of the business was so different than what we're doing with the business coaching side of right. the business. Right. And uh, so I'm slowly dripping the business coaching side. She is a business consultant. She's a senior consultant for, you know, somebody that competes with EY and PWC and, you know, whatnot. Right. Um, and she's loving it. So she's, you know, she's got her CPA or MBA. Yes, she she would be great with our clients. I have another daughter that's really high on marketing and design and whatnot. And, and we do like, like you talked about creating your university and, and making that as an intranet. Yep. I see her coming in just from that side of the business to help run communications and how we deliver content and, and it, right. Train internally. I want to have a university that trains my clients. So like all of the, when we talk about creating BHAGs, I want to have this talk recorded and put out there so that both, you know, so that somebody can sit there and say, I heard you talking about it. I watched that video again and I heard it differently this time. I get it now. Yeah. And so as we build out our university for business coaching and wealth management, that's I think that would be different. Cool. So yeah. um I, I could keep going and on and on. Let's put it, let's let's do this. You're sitting and there's so much that we didn't cover. So I think that this may you know, somewhere along the lines, we're gonna have to get back together again and, and do some more of this. But if you're sitting in front of an audience of multi-generation family businesses right. with the experience that you've had, what would you say, here's, you know, here's my best advice to you folks. Talk about everything. There's nothing that should be off the table. You know, I, I, everything from who's making how much money, how much the company is making, what dad's plans are for the company, what everyone thinks should happen for the company. And then, you know, simple things like how we treat each other and, you know, just the rules of the game so that everyone's on the same. I mean, we've made every mistake, every mistake. And at some point I could tell you some crazy stories that you'd go, what, is this a movie? What the heck? No one really does that, but we lived it and we did it. And it was really, um, eye-opening but it's you know communication is so important at every level involving you know involving everyone the, yeah. you know, I have three brothers but they are all married and they have children and wives and everyone at some point needs to be in the discussions about what's going to happen and what are we going to do thank you That's thank you yeah no I I think yeah I think um we will have Christina get in touch with you and we're going to talk about the, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly oh. uh, mistakes. Stuff is crazy, Michael. You'll go, what? 
Are you kidding? Yeah, I think I think if we do an episode just talking about that, that would be fun. That would Definitely. be okay. No names though. Of course, no. that's right. Well, or we'll change the names to protect the guilty or innocent. Yeah, there we go. Okay, thank you for your Lisa, time. Uh, Lisa Smoot, San Francisco Baked Coffee, um, sfbaycoffee.com. Check them out. Um, in just even reading the story, there's a great picture of John and Barbara Rogers. Yeah. On their wedding day, yeah. and I love the fact that you—I I forgot to mention this—but that you, you know, you are a family business, and the family business stands behind it, and you put it right out there. Yeah, you've heard me talk about it on the show before. Family businesses get a trust bump from their customers and their and their employees. Yeah, it's, yeah. don't hide that you're a family business. So, heck no. Thank you, thank you, thank, thank you. you. It was nice talking to you. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. This has been Michael Columbus with the Family Biz Show. I'm with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. Can't wait to have you on our next episode. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Family Biz Show. We hope you've gained valuable insights and practical tips for running a successful family business. Remember, managing a family business can be both rewarding and challenging, but with dedication, communication, and a clear vision, you can create a thriving enterprise that supports your family and community for generations to come. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and share it. We'd love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. Don't forget to follow Family Wealth and Legacy on LinkedIn and Facebook for more resources and updates on upcoming episodes. And most importantly, keep the conversation going within your own family business. Remember, you're not alone in this journey and we're here to support you every step of the way. Thank you again for tuning in to the Family Biz Show, and we'll see you next time. The content presented is for informational and educational purposes. The information covered and posted are views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily those of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Michael Columbus is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker-dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Financial Affiliates and other fine companies. Family Wealth and Legacy, LLC, is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.